This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Tonight, the president heads from here at the White House to Capitol Hill for his first speech to Congress as he marks 100 days in office. The promises kept and the road ahead. The president's big night as he proposes $4 trillion in new spending for infrastructure, child care, and paid family leave. But how does he plan to pay for it? And who will pay more in taxes? Plus, the historic backdrop, why this speech will look quite different. Rudy Giuliani's apartment raided. Federal agents show up at 6 a.m. with a search warrant at the home and office of President Trump's former lawyer. What they're looking for. Body cam battle. A judge rules the video of police killing Andrew Brown can't be released to the public. The concern about protests tonight. Breaking news. Federal hate crime charges against three Georgia men in connection with the death of Ahmaud Arbery. COVID shot surplus. Daily vaccinations dropped nearly 25% from earlier this month as cities scramble to use thousands of doses before they expire. In Afghanistan, just days before the drawdown of forces begins, CBS News is on the ground. What happens when U.S. troops pull out? The high school cheerleaders free speech case. A public school suspended this teen for using profanity off school grounds on Snapchat. Now the Supreme Court weighs in. And remembering astronaut Michael Collins, who played a vital role in the first moon mission. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with President Biden's first address to a joint session of Congress and the ambitious plan he'll lay out this evening to move the country from what he calls peril into possibility and setback into strength. 25 years after Bill Clinton declared that the era of big government is over, President Biden will argue the opposite, saying that, quote, government still works and can deliver for the people as he attempts to sell trillions of dollars in new federal spending on everything from universal pre-K and free community college to elder care and infrastructure. And tonight's address is expected to outline Mr. Biden's vision of a country emerging from the pandemic, even as he speaks to masked lawmakers sitting in a nearly empty House chamber due to ongoing COVID restrictions. Mr. Biden acknowledged today he'll need the support of Americans as well as Republican lawmakers to get his agenda passed. And tonight, GOP leaders say that's not going to happen, labeling his plans as, quote, Washington schemes and socialist dreams. Well, there's a lot at stake tonight, and CBS's Ed O'Keefe is going to lead off our coverage from the White House. Good evening, Ed. 
Good evening, Nora. Sources tell me the president's well aware of the stakes tonight. After all, he spent eight years seated behind a president who used to give these kinds of remarks. They say he spent much of the past week writing, rewriting and rehearsing a speech set to focus on the pandemic, the economic recovery and restoring faith in democracy. He will tell the country, quote, America is on the move again. President Biden travels to the heavily fortified Capitol tonight for the biggest speech of his nearly 100 days in office. The big items on his agenda, touting the progress in fighting the pandemic, the rebounding economy, and nearly $4 trillion in proposed new spending. He calls it a blue-collar blueprint to build America that will create millions of jobs and trillions of dollars in economic growth. And he says that 90% of the jobs created by his infrastructure plans don't require a college degree. Mr. Biden is calling for free government-backed pre-kindergarten and community college, child tax credits, a new national paid family and medical leave program, and hundreds of billions of dollars to rebuild roads, bridges, airports, electrical grids, and water lines. Government can work. Democracy can work. Now's the time to be bold. The president would pay for the plans with new taxes on the wealthy and corporations and beefed up funding for the IRS to catch tax cheats. Republicans aren't impressed. I hope, although do not really expect that he will move away from the policies and partisan priorities of the far left. And the president's unlikely to commit to some big liberal priorities. Nobody knows better than President Biden that uh, proposing legislation is only a first step. Thanks to COVID, there will be only about 200 invited guests, down from the usual nearly 1,600. The first lady and second gentleman will be there, but without the usual guests. Plus only two members of the cabinet and one Supreme Court justice. Madam Speaker! The first African-American House Sergeant-at-Arms, William Walker, will escort the president, while South Carolina's Tim Scott, the Senate's only black Republican, will give the GOP response. And for the first time, two women will be seated behind the president, Vice President Harris and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. It's pretty exciting, uh, and it's all wonderful to make history. It's about time. Lots of other issues on the agenda tonight. Sources tell CBS News he's expected to endorse bipartisan talks on police reform, renew his call to ban assault weapons, and commit to revamping the nation's immigration system. But in the meantime, he'll call on lawmakers to pass bills giving legal status to guest workers and so-called dreamers. Nora? Ed O'Keefe, thank you. Let's bring in CBS's chief White House correspondent, Nancy Cordes. So, Nancy, the president was able to get his $2 trillion rescue plan through Congress. Now he's proposing another $4 trillion in what he calls recovery and infrastructure. How does he get it done? Is there a timeline for it? Well, there's no guarantee that he can get any Republican support because the way he wants to pay for all this spending, Nora, is by rolling back the Trump tax cuts. That is a non-starter with Republicans. So he needs to keep all Democrats together. But we got a sign today that he has a sales job to do. West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin said that he's uncomfortable with all of this spending. He wants to know exactly where the money is going to go. That's what President Biden is going to start to lay out tonight. Speaker Pelosi saying tonight will send a message to girls everywhere that they have opportunities because there'll be two women behind the president of the United States for the first time. There'll be so much that looks different in the chamber. Right. Two women from California, but not nearly as many lawmakers as we're used to seeing in the audience. Only about a third of them. In fact, on the Democratic side, we're told that senators actually had to enter a lottery to see which ones of them would be able to attend. Uh, another departure from history, President Biden, before he enters the House chamber, chamber tonight. He's going to meet behind closed doors with career staffers 
at the Capitol. We're talking about janitors and cooks who were at the Capitol on January 6th and lived through that very scary day with everyone else. This is President Biden showing that he knows how they're feeling because he himself served on Capitol Hill for decades. Those types of staffers don't normally get a meeting with the president. Exactly. Nancy Cordes, thank you. All right, now to breaking news on a federal investigation into former President Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Today, the FBI raided the home and office of the outspoken former New York mayor, part of an apparent probe into his business dealings in Ukraine. Ukraine. At the same time, he was digging up dirt on Joe Biden ahead of last year's election. Here's CBS's Jeff Begays. Federal agents showed up unannounced at Giuliani's New York City apartment at 6 a.m. Two people with knowledge of the investigation confirmed that agents were looking for electronic devices and other items. Giuliani has been under scrutiny by federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York since 2019 about whether he broke lobbying laws in his dealings with Ukraine while he was also working as former President Trump's personal lawyer looking for compromising information on President Biden and his son Hunter. It becomes much bigger than that when it involves uh, Ukrainian oligarchs potentially uh, using Mr. Giuliani to influence the former administration of President Trump. Andrew Giuliani is the former New York mayor's son. This is disgusting. This is absolutely absurd. If this can happen to the former president's lawyer, this can happen to any American. Enough is enough. I know crimes. I can smell them. With a federal investigation hanging over his head last fall, Giuliani continued to speak out on behalf of former President Trump in an effort to get the 2020 election results overturned. Let's have trial by combat. On January 6th, he urged the former president's supporters to storm the Capitol. The president is willing to stake his reputation on the fact that we're going to find criminality there. But it is his relationship with Soviet-born Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas that put him in prosecutors' crosshairs. I was involved with Rudy Giuliani and the president on the Ukrainian side. Both men were charged with unrelated campaign finance violations in 2019. Also related, an additional search warrant served on Victoria Tensing, a prominent Washington, D.C. attorney who's also done work in the past for former President Trump and an oligarch from Ukraine accused of being tied to that effort to dig up dirt on President Biden. Nora. Jeff Pegues with that stunning development. Thank you, Jeff. And there's a major ruling tonight in the case of a North Carolina man who was shot and killed by deputies one week ago. A judge ruled the public won't immediately get to see body camera video of the shooting. CBS's Manuel Bajorquez reports again tonight from Elizabeth City. A North Carolina judge said the family of Andrew Brown Jr. can view redacted police body cam footage in the next few days, but ruled against immediately releasing the video to the public. Confidentiality is necessary at this point to protect an active uh, internal and criminal investigation or potential internal criminal investigation. Your Honor must consider whether... District Attorney Andrew Womble disputed the Brown family attorney's description of a short clip of the video. Womble says deputies opened fire after Brown's car became a threat when they tried to arrest him on drug charges last week. The next movement of the car is forward. It is in the direction of law enforcement and makes contact with law enforcement. It is then and only then that you hear shots. No mistake about it. Brown family attorney Harry Daniels says there is only one way to clear this up. Now I heard statements being made where he he might have hit the hit the deputies. Or he might have did that. Well, show us the video. Andrew Brown. 
Despite mostly peaceful protests, there were arrests last night after the city imposed an 8 p.m. curfew. And you're prepared to be arrested if that's what it takes? I don't want to be arrested. Well, I'm here to say we have to stand at some point. And for me, it's right here, right now. The public may not have a chance to see the body cam footage until after the investigation into Brown's death is complete in 30 to 45 days. That may not be enough to satisfy some protesters who are still marching through the city tonight. Nora? Manny Bajorquez, thank you. We want to turn overseas now to update you on India, because India is still struggling to contain a catastrophic second wave, breaking a global record with more than 360,000 cases in just one day. Well, here in the U.S., cases are going down, but the race to vaccinate America is facing a hurdle. CBS's Meg Oliver reports. Tonight in Philadelphia, a surplus scare. The city has a lot of vaccines in cold storage that, that do have to get used in, in a very short timeline. With more than a thousand doses expiring tomorrow, the city is now scrambling, shipping them to other distribution sites so they won't be forced to throw anything out. Around the country, shots are sitting unused. I just don't think they've done enough research on it. And for the first time in more than a month, the U.S. is averaging less than 2.5 million vaccinations a day. Vaccinations are down nearly 25 percent after peaking on April 11th. Meanwhile, in Oregon, a new COVID surge triggering restrictions that includes a ban on indoor dining. But in Tennessee, the governor tweeting COVID-19 is no longer a health emergency in our state because of a widely available vaccine. But less than 25 percent of the state's population is fully vaccinated. In Lubbock, Texas. I am here at our large-scale vaccination clinic, and as you can see, we have lots of empty chairs. Vaccine hesitancy remains high and turnout low. This is going to be an uphill battle. I really kind of see us in this time crunch of trying to get people vaccinated before we see some of these other variants. For those still hesitant to roll up their sleeves, an appeal to the heart. Not since World War II have all people been called to come together to protect humanity's future. A nationwide coalition of healthcare providers running this ad with a single message. This is our shot to save lives. Today, the CDC unveiled new findings showing the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are 94% effective in preventing hospitalizations in fully vaccinated adults 65 and over. Here in Philadelphia, they're hoping to vaccinate more people by keeping sites like this one open later to attract walk-ins. No appointment needed. Nora? That's some good news. All right, Meg Oliver, thank you. Well, CBS News has learned the president will speak tonight about his decision to pull American troops out of Afghanistan after 20 years at war. CBS's Charlie Daggett is there tonight. U.S. trained Afghan commandos putting on a display of military force. The message, they're ready to take on the Taliban as America and its allies begin to pull out troops this week. The reality on the ground tells a different story. We took a Soviet-era helicopter out of Kabul. It was a short flight, but the streets of the capital have become so dangerous, driving there would be out of the question. Special forces, hundreds of men and women alike, now face a Taliban more powerful than ever in the two decades since the U.S.-led invasion. These American-trained commandos will be among hundreds of thousands of Afghan troops that will have to stand alone against the Taliban and any other terrorist organization once America and its allies leave by September 11th. 
As part of the peace agreement with the U.S., the Taliban pledged to sever ties with al-Qaeda terrorists. But General Yassin Zia told us they've become blood relatives over the past 20 years. That's not the relation of two organizations. That's the relation of sister-in-law and father-in-law and uncle, cousin. So they're, they're intrinsic. The, the al-Qaeda and Taliban yeah. are as one in places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. military is preparing for a fight, deploying Army Rangers to help extract U.S. troops, B-52 bombers, and extending the USS Eisenhower's stay in the region. And another indication of how volatile things have become, Nora, the U.S. State Department has ordered the embassy here in Kabul to draw down staff, warning all other Americans to leave the country as soon as possible. All right, Charlie Daggett, thank you. Well, today, the Supreme Court took up a case with important free speech implications. At issue, can a public school punish a student for what she said off campus on social media? Here's CBS's Jan Crawford. When high school student Randy Levy found out she didn't make the varsity cheer squad, she reacted like teenagers will. Me and my friend posted a Snapchat on my story. It said F school, F cheer, F softball, F everything. I was really upset at a lot of things. The Snapchat posted over a weekend only went to Brandy's friends, but someone shared a screenshot of it with the cheer coach who promptly suspended Brandy for a year from the junior varsity squad. I put no one's name in it, nothing towards the school exactly. Brandy and her parents sued, and today, in nearly two hours of arguments, Supreme Court justices clearly were sympathetic. Justice Brett Kavanaugh. She blew off steam like millions of other kids have when they're disappointed about being cut from the high school team. But the justices struggled with how to draw the line and apply old First Amendment cases focused on speech at school to today's student expression online, where kids also use social media for political views. Justice Sam Alito. I'm quite concerned about the effect of this on on freedom of speech. I think we need clear lines. Brandy says a ruling for the school district could have big consequences. I feel like kids wouldn't be able to express how they feel. And I feel like they're going to think that they have a certain like limitation on what they can and can't say outside of school. Now, the justices were also concerned about how their decision might affect the separate issue of online bullying. But Brandy's lawyer argued that under the First Amendment, schools can still punish students for severe harassment, whether it's on the schoolyard or on the Internet. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had, and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. 
This news just in a federal grand jury in Georgia just indicted three men for hate crimes and attempted kidnapping in the killing of Ahmad Arbery. Citing this video, the 25-year-old black man was gunned down after being chased by three white men who saw him jogging in their neighborhood. All three also face state murder charges. All right, tonight we're hearing from one of the jurors who found Derek Chauvin guilty of murdering George Floyd. 31-year-old Brandon Mitchell described the toughest part of the trial for him. We were just stressed about just the simple fact of, I mean, every day we had to come in and watch a black man die. Mm-hmm. That alone is stressful. Yes. Coming in each and every day um, and having to watch somebody die is, is, is stressful enough by itself. So anything outside of that was, was secondary. Well, Mitchell also says if Chauvin had testified, it might have made a difference. Tonight, we want to remember Michael Collins, who may have had the toughest job on Apollo 11, NASA's first moon mission in 1969. As Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the surface, Collins circled alone 60 miles up, out of contact for 48 minutes when he reached the far side of the moon. He said he worried that if something went wrong below, he'd have to come home without his crewmates. Well, today, Michael Collins died of cancer, surrounded by family. He was 90 years old. We invite you to join us for live coverage of President Biden's first address to Congress that's coming up at 9 Eastern Time, 8 Central. And if you can't watch the Evening News Live, set your DVR so you can watch us later. That's tonight's edition of the CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in the nation's capital. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.